the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 169 for August 23rd, 2009. Responses to the Google Voice debacle, Palm EOS rumors, and a dual OS approach for Microsoft. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. And first today, thanks to our sponsor, Netflix. Help support the cell phone junkie by signing up for a two-week free trial of Netflix. Plans start at $4.99 per month, over 100,000 titles to choose from. Keep each movie as long as you want with no late fees ever. Free shipping both ways, free delivery in about one business day. Cancel any time, and as a bonus to those DVDs, watch some of the movies over the internet for no additional charge. Joey and I appreciate your su- the support of the show for signing up for a free trial of Netflix. And this week, my movie of the week from them is Gran Torino with Clint Eastwood. For those that haven't seen this one, uh, Clint's latest movie, uh, very interesting. He went. He goes into uh, a, a um, I guess, a midwestern scenario where the majority of the town has been built up and, and backfilled by uh, a Hmong community. And he's uh, uh, kind of living in this community from a house where he had been for many, many years and uh, just kind of the, the, the state of, I think, a lot of places around the country where different communities have taken over certain areas. And it's very interesting, uh, pretty sad as well, but just such a great movie. Just had a, had a blast watching it. Yeah, there's some uh, St. Paul ties uh, into that too. Some of the, uh, like one of the main actors, I believe, was from, the Twin Cities here, and some of the inspiration was from uh, the communities here in the uh, Twin Cities. Yeah, St. Paul, I think, has uh, got got the big community there, isn't it? Mm-hmm, yep. yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, very nice uh, to be able to get that on Netflix, and, you know, obviously a lot of fun to be able to, you know, it's one of those things, I watched it, I sent it back, and if I want to see it again, I can easily just order it back up, and I'll have it in just a few days, the great thing about it Netflix. Is. That is, because then you just don't have to actually build a collection or even try to store them and catalog them and keep track of them, so... It is kind of nice to uh, have that. And this week, Mickey, on the uh, Roku, I watched the uh, some old uh, Knight Rider season one. Good lo- flashback to the eighties. Uh, I love the, uh, the 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 Firebird Trans Am in there. Just I, I love that black car. And I gotta love Kit. I don't know a a kid who grew up in the eighties who doesn't love Kit, right? No, it did not. <laughs> I, I actually saw a, a car that was done up just like that. This was about six months ago. Um, uh, up uh, here in the Twin Cities, it was. It, it literally was done 100%, uh, at least on the exterior, uh, to look just like Knight Rider. Sometimes you see them and they're close. This one was just right. And then it made the noise, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, 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 that's such a great movie or uh, TV yep. show. Anyway, yeah, that's fun. Lots of great stuff you can do with Netflix. So please, uh, thank you for supporting us by signing up for a free trial from them. And this week we released the Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked show number 28 and Matt Greenberger from Motorola joined us to talk about some of the new things that Motorola is doing in helping to support their customers. He goes through how they've actually uh, taken an active approach to making the user of their device the center of their support. A very uh, unique show and uh, thank you very much to Matt for joining us for the show to talk about it. We had a great time talking with him. And uh, we also had one more announcement this week, uh, starting something new with the Unlock Show. We're transitioning to a premium content show. This past show, number 28, was the last one posted to the current Unlocked feed. And starting on September 1st, you're going to need to resubscribe to listen to the show. We did some research, and we decided that $5 per month for the Unlock Show was uh, where we wanted to go. So broken down, that's $2.50 per Unlock Show. If you listen to both this show and that show, that's about $0.60 cents per episode to support the work that we do on the shows. If you choose not to subscribe to the Unlock show for the fee, you'll still be able to listen to this show, the original show, at no additional charge, uh, the same way you're listening to it right now. Nothing's going to change with this one. We're going to continue to have sponsors and advertisers to help us with this show, but with that switch to premium, the Unlock show is going to be completely ad-free. If you want to sign up, it's very easy. Visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click on the link on the right side of the page for the Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. You'll be transferred to the new site, which is now hosted by Podbean. You simply click on the link that says subscribe to premium content, follow directions, and it will set up a reoccurring monthly payment for you. The great thing about the service is that after that initial setup, you can take the RSS feed that you're given, put it in your podcatcher, such as iTunes or anything else you want to use. And by entering your credentials, you'll be able to download the show the way you want it. So you can, you can still get it. However it is that you're listening to it right now. You'll just need that, that new feed to enter in there. And uh, finally, thanks to everyone who has already subscribed. It's truly been uh, phenomenal. We just released this uh that we're switching over to premium this week we've already 
had a lot of people sign up. It's great to see how, how quickly everyone did that after the announcement. The first show doesn't even come out until the 1st of September. And we want to sincerely thank everybody for supporting us over the past few years. You're the ones uh, that keep us going, and we know you're going to love the shows going forward just as you always have. So our ultimate goal is to take on producing these shows full-time, and with the change, we know you can help us getting there. Get there. So it's, it's really a great thing, and I'm, I'm really excited about doing this. And thanks to everyone again for, uh, for your support and signing up for that show as well. Uh, this week we did a review over at the site forum, uh, a service or excuse me, a company called Sigic, and they make a product called mobile maps for iPhone. Last week we looked at the Navigon software, which has mobile maps or this week it was mobile maps for Sigic. Uh, the mobile maps for the iPhone is a good experience in comparison to the mobile navigator from Navigon. Many of the features are the same. The user experience is very good on both. If you look at both the applications, try and decide which one to purchase. Uh, it's hard to kind of give an edge to either one. It really th- there's a little bit different of a look on the screens. One is uh, the the Sigic is a lot more uh, minimalist. You're basically looking at lines and uh, very little detail. And, and when you do guided directions on the Navigon software, it's a little bit more. Uh, we'll just say graphically intensive. So, but it's it you know each way each one has its pluses. But as far as functionality, both as advertised are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, due to the limitations by Apple, you're not going to be able to run either application while you're trying to do other things on the device. So you're not going to be able to op- launch the GPS and then go in and and you know play with your music or do whatever you want to do. Um, and I guess the good thing is is that with the iPhone on the iPod functionality, you could turn on your music and then go into the the software and uh, be able to then navigate. And actually, that's one thing that I did uh, this weekend, took a little uh, weekend trip here. And when uh, I've got the the iPod kit built into my vehicle, and so I plugged in my iPhone and uh, launched a a playlist that I wanted to listen to and and started the music going. Uh, It's all controlled by the controls on my built-in stereo, so that's nice. And then launched the um, the, the Sigic software, the mobile map software on the iPhone and was able to use that to guide myself to where I was going. And, you know, it's, it, it's a good experience, you know, built into the car like that too. It, it charges the phone at the same time because obviously the GPS software does drain the battery fairly quickly. That's one of the things you got to remember when you're doing that. Uh, but anyway, either way you go, if you, if you do the Sigic or you go with the Navigon, uh, both are going to treat you well. Uh, if you want to go and get it in here in the U S there's version Sigic is, uh, I believe a, a company based in Australia, I apologize if I got that wrong, but they were, they're an international company and they've got service, their, their products giving services in a lot of different countries around the world. And the North American version um, is the one that I reviewed. I think it was $80, $79.99. Uh, they do have one that's $20 less that's just the US only. It doesn't have Canada in it. And uh, that is actually a pretty good deal. So for fit, so $60, you can get just the U.S. So you can save a few dollars if you can get by with, with just the 50 states. So that, that's a pretty nice thing. But in addition to this, Sigic was nice enough to give us a copy of their North American version of the software as a giveaway. And uh, so we've got one license here to give away to the list, uh, one listener of the show. Uh, similar to what we've done in the past, we're going to ask you to send a message via Twitter to us between now and Sunday, August 30th. We're going to have the cutoff uh, on the 30th set as noon Eastern. So get us your your entry here by noon Eastern uh, on Sunday, August 30th. And what we're going to do is we're going to choose one random person. All you have to do, send a message on Twitter with uh, myself, which is uh, at TCPJ underscore Mickey, Joey, who's at TCPJ underscore Joey, and the official Sigic Twitter, so at Sigic Official, uh, that's S-Y-G-I-C official, all one word. So send a message to the three of us. I'll put that in the show notes as well. You'll be entered in for the giveaway saying that you you want to be entered in, and uh, we'll be choosing one random person to announce on the show next week. So very cool that they're able to give away one of the versions of this software here. So we thank them for the copy that we were able to use as a review for the, the show, and excellent that we were able to get a copy here to give away to one of you. So excellent to have them as a sponsor. Uh, here as well for the show. Let's get into the news. Uh, First off this week, telecom operators are actually getting hurt by selling the iPhone. Heavy subsidies given out by the operators have uh, brought customers to them to buy the Apple iPhone, but it has done nothing to increase their profits. In some cases, it's actually helped uh, or it's actually lowered the amount of money that they're getting on the on the subscriptions that they have. According to research done by uh, a group out of Helsinki, none of the operators that sell the phone 
have increased their market share or revenue and or their earnings as a result of introducing the iPhone. On the contrary, some op- operators have sent out profit warnings because of the phone, and they said that uh, Apple, you know, has become such a, a quick, uh, you know, customer device, or the iPhone has come such a, an exciting device for customers that everyone wants to get it. You know, Apple has sold 5.2 million iPhones as of the June quarter. That's six, uh, in comparison to six, 268 million phones sold globally by all handset manufacturers. But uh, what's happening here, and the reason we wanted to bring this up is when you talk about a phone and a subsidy that goes into it, back in 2007, the iPhone first came out, $600 device. Now we're looking at a, a phone that's selling for $200 or $300, depending on what model that you're looking to get, which is three dollars to $400 less than what it was when it first came out. That amount just didn't go away. That's a, a subsidy that's given to the, uh, the user of the device based on an agreement that they've signed up with that carrier. So there really is a, a big dichotomy here from you know the 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 actual getting of the customer and the amount of money that they're spending and how much they're having to shell out to get that particular phone in that that user's hands and I, I think this is you know one of the biggest downfalls of where we've got to at this point, which is the user expecting a one hundred or two hundred dollar device, which you know two to three years ago it was at least three to five hundred dollars to get a, a similar phone to this, and something's going to have to give here because it doesn't seem like the carriers are going to be able to do this forever, and they're just going to continue to lose money if they do. Yeah, and they are, and it's it's what what did we uh, also see that Apple was getting per month from uh, here in the U.S. AT and T wasn't it something like twenty. 20 bucks yeah. a month it, yeah it, when, um, that was when the first yeah when the first iphone came out it was i think it was 18 dollars at the time yeah it was it was okay. pretty high yep and i i doubt that's changed a heck of a lot maybe it's gone down a little bit with some of the newer models of the iphone because the subsidy is increased but i wouldn't be surprised if it hasn't changed much you know just because the the power that apple has you know saying well we'll sign up you know uh, you know millions of extra people to your network and you'll make this much money but we you know you have to pay us as well but they keep dropping the initial cost of the uh, the unit and and probably forcing you know the carriers to eat that extra uh, subsidy so uh it, it's it's a very it's a very interesting relationship that they have and and how it relates to the customer uh the end user as well a $200 iPhone is not a $200 phone. It's it's well, more like $99 you can get one at. Yeah, it's still a 3 to $500 phone that that Apple is selling it to the carrier, you know, for. So it's the phone may cost only a couple hundred dollars to make, but then they're going to, you know, tack on a certain amount so that they get their profits for making the device. And uh, you know, they're they're talking about 3 to 4 percentage point margin drops simply by selling the iPhone, which is I mean, that's big just for one one simple phone. Uh, in Sweden, Telesonera lost a whole percentage point on the market in, in, of market share in two years. It does have the lowest ARPU uh, among a lot of the top firms, but they fell from uh, fall to 179 Swedish crowns in the first quarter. I don't know what that relates to in dollars, uh, but uh, having declined from 212, that's that's a, a pretty big deal. So they're they're having some issues, and uh, this will be something we're going to have to continue to follow because, it, like I said, it's not going to be able to continue forever. That the carriers just can't support it. So uh, no, and and we haven't seen any other companies start doing this yet, um, and also with with Android coming up on the scene here as being more and more a, a viable platform that it's fairly similar in the, its interface. Um, you know, I, I, Apple may, may have a little, uh, little something to be worried about there because carriers are going to be way more apt to promote Android over iPhone just because there's, you know, it's a very good OS. So, well, I mean, it's, it's improving every day, and it's a free OS for the carriers, uh, or not for the carriers, but for the uh, device makers, which in turn makes the device cheaper for the carriers to purchase. Yep, because they can make it for less, so they can sell it to them for less, and then the carrier can still sell it to the consumer for you know that two hundred dollar price point, but it's not going to cost them five hundred to get. It's only going to cost three fifty or something or whatever it is, and they're going to be able to you know and we're and not, not to, ha- yeah it, not have to pay a monthly fee back to the device maker as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's the other key thing is that 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 amount that they that they suck back from it, you know, to makes it a very, you know, non lucrative uh, device to be selling. So anyway, we'll keep we'll continue to follow that one, of course, because it is kind of interesting to see what may happen with it. Well, the FCC formally announced plans uh, this past Friday to examine a wider range of business practices within the wireless industry issues that the FCC 
is going to explore include the state of competition in the industry, truth and billing issues, surcharges and fees, and handset exclusivity deals. The FCC plans to create a more specific list of actionable items at a meeting it's holding next week. Well, the third generation partnership project approved a set of standards for CDMA 1X advanced technology. The software channel card upgraded uses interference cancellation and radio link enhancements to increase voice capacity on CDMA 1X networks. According to the CDMA development group, the technology improvements uh, will include base and transceiver station interference cancellation, improved power control, early frame termination, and smarter blanking. It will be rolled out at all at once or deployed in phases across a specific network. In theory, the 1X Advance can quadruple the voice capacity of the wireless networking used in the same 1.25 megahertz of spectrum that it's currently using today. The technology will also be available in the second half of, two, of next year, 2010. Additionally, for an upgrade of the device, the 1X Voice and EVDO data, or also soon to be known as SVDO, will allow phones to access the EVDO data while on a 1X-based voice call. That will let the end user to make a phone call and send emails at the same time, something that CDMA has not been able to do up until this point. So that'll be a very good thing once that comes online to be able to compete with what's happening within the GSM and HSDPA uh, networks there. Of course, we're coming up on LTE being rolled out very soon. There's already trials going on. Whether or not this is going to actually make a big difference for the end user is uh, still to be determined. I, I don't think they would retro this over to devices that are currently out. It just it, it, it seems like it'd be too much for them to do. No, this wouldn't. This would not apply to current devices that we have out there. The the if the standard's not going to be done until the second half of next year. Uh, we won't start seeing that in devices at least uh, for probably a year and a half after that. And even still, a year and a half after that, LTE is going to probably have a, a, a pretty big presence. And on the Sprint side here in the U.S., we'll probably see a lot of WiMAX, and they've even promised LTE. So that may start, you know, that process. However, I mean, you never know what will happen. Maybe LTE will not take off in the handset arena maybe they'll figure out that it's just not quite the right um you know platform or technology for making calls and they may move to something like this so especially with the verizon sprint side of things yeah there's i mean obviously evdo is uh, is very very good for data we've got some results of some independent testing that we're going to talk about in a little bit and 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 by far, EVDO you know, outpasses, especially here in the U.S., which is where this is important because there's not really EVDO and CDMA found elsewhere in the world that's really uh, the primary technology that's used by the, the top carrier. So it, it's, uh, it, it's certainly a good thing to see that they've at least come up with a, a way to do this based on you know, a current specification that's out there. So, well, Fortune Magazine came out with rankings of the top 100 fastest growing companies, and the number one slot belongs to RIM. The rankings are largely based on revenue growth. RIM maintained a staggering 77% increase in revenue over the last three years. BlackBerry successfully crossed over from the business market over to the consumer market, and the high growth rate is no doubt why uh, Finnish-based Nokia recently indicated that it, will, it had entered into an alliance uh, with Microsoft. So good for RIM being the number one fastest growing company in the world, according to Fortune magazine. Well, rail cell service is coming to all carriers if you live in the Washington, D.C. area. The Washington Post reports that uh, Sprint, Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile will get service in 20 of the busiest underground stations on the Metro Rail system. And uh, this will take, uh, take place over the next few weeks and will hopefully go live come October 16th. Well, analyzing the world's 10 biggest handset makers in the second quarter of this year, we're going to go through these real quick, but it's very interesting to see as you look at the, the top 10 here. Number 10, HTC. Number 9, Huawei. Number 8, one of our favorites, Apple, to talk about. Number 7, ZTE. Number 6, BlackBerry. Number 5, Sony Ericsson. Number 4, Motorola. Number 3, LG. Number 2, Samsung. And of course, number one, Nokia. Shipments in the second quarter for 2009 totaled 103.2 million units, which is down 14% from the 121 they shipped a quarter ago. But still, the powerhouse in the device manufacturing world, Nokia, still having uh, some great results there. 
Well, U.S. smartphone sales grew 47% in the second quarter of 2009. The NPD group uh, uh, compiled a survey of 150,000 respondents and found that smartphones accounted for 28% of all handsets uh, sales in the United States, which is up 47% over the same period of last year. Of course, 28% means that 72% of the total phones sold were still feature phones. So feature phones still making up a very large portion of how many phones are being sold out there. Not everyone going to smartphones, but still a large number. The most popular feature phones out there were the LG NV2 and the Samsung Rant. Well, CNET News put together some information on carrier upgrade fees. If you've recently went out and purchased a new phone, you may or may not have seen that $18 charge get thrown on your bill. AT&T says that they will charge an upgrade fee for longtime customers. Uh, It's true if the customer is out of contract or is signing a new one for a higher monthly cost. Sprint says that they also charge customers for off-contract to upgrade from a regular phone to a smartphone, but according to a spokesperson, Sprint waives the fee if the customer orders their new handset online. If the customer buys it in a retail store or over the phone, they'll have to give over that $18. Though it's nice to hear Sprint waives the fee for some, it'd obviously be nice if they were to do it from wherever you buy your phone for. Verizon Wireless says that if a customer is off-contract and is eligible for an upgrade, that person will not be charged an upgrade fee for buying a phone and signing a new contract. And U.S. Cellular is the same as uh, basically saying that they won't charge a fee if the customer is off contract. T-Mobile, they charge $18. Basically, if you're a customer that's been with them for one week or 10 years, they're charging you that upgrade fee of $18. So interesting news there. If you're looking to make an upgrade, something that you should expect. Well, the Wall Street Journal has a, an update to a story that I think came out a few months ago. Eight, eight people are now charged with stealing $22 million in wireless devices from AT&T and T-Mobile. Customer data uh, was stolen, and basically they used that data to get phones based on insurance claims. Uh, T-Mobile has stated that they will be notifying the impacted customers of this scam to ensure their accounts are credited as appropriate and that the safety of their credit is intact. They will offer complimentary credit monitoring services for customers who may have been affected by these actions. So at least they're taking you know, steps to make sure that the fraud does not spread past what had happened to them. But $22 million in stolen wireless devices. Big, big numbers. We talked about it just a minute ago. Uh, Boy Genius Report over the past month has put together some speed tests with all the carriers, and they've basically taken people out in the field and had them do speed tests and then send in their information to them, and they've compiled it and added up the averages. So everything put together, the wrap-up shows that on the average, the download speed of the network, that or the, of the fastest network, was Sprint, and that was one3 Uh, megabits per second uh, or 1,361 kilobits per second. In second place, AT&T, 933 kilobits per second. T-Mobile at 786 and Verizon at 701 kilobits per second. The average upload speed a lot slower. Uh, Verizon topped the charts at 322 kilobits per second. Sprint was second at 267, AT&T third, 180, and T-Mobile number four at 177 kilobits per second. So very interesting. If you're looking to find out which network has the fastest speeds, the question you have to ask yourself is do you want the the faster upload or the faster download speeds? Uh, This is uh, very, like I said, it it depends on the carrier. There no carrier found themselves in the same slot depending on, on, you know, which one you're talking about. So very, uh, very good to see this data though. And this, like I said, was was done from uh, from the boy genius, and it was done on a relatively uh, you know uncompromised basis. People were taking these readings from across the country and sending them in, and they compiled all of these. So I, I guess it was good to just to see them here to to know if you were looking to find yourself in the situation where you're looking for fast data, what to choose. And back to the Google Voice debacle, AT&T filed an answer to the question posed by the FCC a few weeks ago over the Google Voice application, AT&T asserts that they had no part in Apple's decision to pull the application out of the App Store, and a spokesperson for AT&T said they had no role in any decision by Apple to not accept the Google Voice application for inclusion into that store. AT&T was not asked about the matter by Apple at any time 
nor did they offer any view one way or another. AT&T does not block consumers from accessing any lawful website on the internet. Consumers can download or launch a multitude of compatible applications directly from the internet, including Google Voice, though any web-enabled wireless device without the need to use the Apple App Store. Apple said Google uh, were also required to file answers, which they also did. Apple provided its answers to the FCC, stating that Apple alone makes the final decisions to approve and not approve the applications. They said that the application wasn't removed, rather pulled back into the approval process so they could study the application further to see how it's interacting with the native telephony features of the iPhone. Apple stated Google is, of course, free to provide Google Voice on the iPhone as a web application through Apple's Safari browser, just as they do for desktop PCs. Google then responded officially, stating that uh, they had no part in pulling the application and provided details about the application and how it does, how it and other Google services are similar to the services offered by Apple. The most sensitive question asked of them uh, was unfortunately blocked from the public view. That question was uh, an explanation on whether they received the application from Apple and then, or they received from Apple for the application's rejection, uh, which they did not explain uh, whether they did or not. So uh, very kind of all over the place right now. There's a lot of information out there out there that you can read about it we're going to include an additional link here as Engadget went through a, a lot of this and, and how this process went for each of the carriers but basically they're all kind of pointing the finger at each other and apple is saying that they're still quote-unquote reviewing the application so we may see this in the future but in the meantime uh, hopefully you can stick through uh going to the website and you know, google.com slash voice and making your calls from there. I know it's not the same, but if you've got people in your contacts list, it does work. AT&T indicated that they have started the 850 megahertz spectrum in the San Francisco metro area for 3G service. It's recently done the same for Atlanta, and they also will plan on doing the rollout in New York City. City residents of San Francisco and New York should see improved network performance as well as uh, the ability to use their phones in more places indoors. AT&T officially mandated data plans for all smartphones starting on September 6th. Any customer using a smartphone will need to subscribe to a data plan. AT&T said in a statement that smartphone users tend to consume a higher amount of data like advanced email, mobile web applications, and more. Being able to fully take advantage of these features without having to worry about a fluctuating or unusually high bill generally leads to greater customer satisfaction. So effective September 6th, smartphone customers will need to subscribe to a data plan as the vast majority of customers already do. This change will apply to new lines and any renewed contracts after the 6th of the the month. Existing customers who already have smartphones without data plans will be able to stay with that current plan. The data plan costs $30 per month and applies to iPhone, Blackberries, Windows Mobile, Symbian, and Palm devices. Yeah, it's one more way for the carriers to um, make the user experience a little better with the smartphone. But again, it increases their revenue. And of course, then it helps make back the subsidies that they've increased on the smartphone devices, which we just talked about. Because you know how it was before, Mickey, you know, that we'd have the Windows mobile phones were in the three, four hundred dollar range. But now they're all down into the two hundred dollar range. And I kind of figured this one was coming because over the past few years that I've bought and sold iPhones and other devices, I've been able to kind of pick and choose my plans as I as I went. And the, the data package was essentially just an add-on feature. It wasn't actually the plan that was tied to the subsidy. So what I've been able to do is buy a phone. And even if it was a smartphone and I got the subsidy for it, if I later decided that I didn't want to have that data on it, which I've done from time to time, depending on what's going on in my life and what phones that I have, I could easily drop it and then add it back on later with no particular issue. So I've got to make a decision here within the next two weeks and decide if I'm going to, in fact, keep the data plan on my AT&T line or if I'm going to drop it, which is something that a lot of people don't know uh, that you could, uh, up until this point, drop your data plan from an iPhone, uh, which, like they say, it doesn't you know, give a great customer experience if you don't have a data plan on a phone that is highly data intensive. But if you've got uh, Wi-Fi access in different places, you can easily make it work for you. Uh, you know, either way, you're going to have to make a decision on this very soon. Or if you buy a device from AT&T afterwards, you're going to, uh, after the sixth, you're going to have to end up getting that plan. So I, I see the other carriers following suit with this very soon. Yeah. It, well, doesn't Verizon already do that? They probably devices? do. Yeah. I think Verizon does. Um, and I know with certain Sprint devices, for sure, they require the everything plan. So 
Um, yeah, it's just going to become a little bit more common, especially with the, the quote unquote smartphones. Yeah. It, it may be, it may not be a, uh, something that you have. Well, you know what? I guess you would have to have a certain plan. You're right on those different devices. Although the one, the one thing that has been hanging out there for sprint has been the serial plans. So you could always get a serial plan without having, uh, you know, or basically with, with, any phone up until a certain point, I guess two a year and a half ago or so, when the Instinct first came out, and they said, "No, you have to switch to get a different plan." It's been like that for a couple other devices that they've had. Uh, you know, most recently the Pre. So I don't know. I, I guess yeah. Well, if if they haven't already started to do it, they're gonna you know finally you know make it so that every smartphone that's out there has to have that. So I guess you know it is what it is, and that's you know, most people are paying for it anyway. It's just the few that that aren't are gonna have to deal with it now. So. Class action lawsuits against Apple and AT&T for a lack of MMS on their iPhones. A class action started in a Louisiana district court alleging that Apple and AT&T touted the iPhone as supporting MMS but have yet to provide the service. The plaintiffs allege that Apple's advertised heavily on the new version of the iPhone, the 3G, as well as even the newer version of the 3GS, that it would allow MMS and Apple's print and video advertisements in and on television, the internet, radio, newspapers, and direct mailers all touted that availability. AT&T advertised the same functionality, uh, the filing says, so we'll, uh, we'll see where this one goes. But the suit is consisting of at least 10,000 individuals currently. Uh, I guess we'll probably see either this one just become a moot issue when MMS comes out here, hopefully by the end of the year, or some people in the class getting a few dollars. Quest Wireless began informing customers this week that they have 60 days to sever their Quest Wireless service and switch to another wireless service provider. The company announced in 2008 that it planned to exit the wireless business, and it's been reselling Verizon wireless services since. Quest customers can switch without paying the early termination fee and may port their number to a new carrier. Quest said that any customers that have not switched by September or October will automatically be routed to a live agent who will remind them to change service providers every time they make an outgoing call. (laughs) Because Quest is a Verizon reseller, customers can choose to bundle their Quest wireline and Verizon wireless services together. Quest plans to cease offering its wireless network service on October 31st of this year. That's a a pretty good way of getting people to switch if you haven't already done so, routing every single call that you make over to a, uh, a service uh, representative yeah i don't think they did that for uh, the analog shutdown uh no they just shut you off <laughs> yeah basically what happened there but yeah I, you know it makes sense and uh you know they've been it, they've given people essentially a year to figure this one out so most people have made the change and i would say at least probably half of their customers have already had to go and renew and when they went to renew they were told that they needed to go with verizon which is you know a, a good service in fact i think it was a great move for quest and for the customers who were using quest that were on the sprint network before and then when they went to upgrade they they got pushed over to verizon and so it's it's a you know in many cases a comparable network sometimes even a little bit better sometimes worse it just kind of depends on where you are but it's a comparable change uh in the long run i think Sprint's WiMAX 4G network officially launched and is available in the cities of Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Portland, Oregon starting this past week. The service was already live in Baltimore, and interested customers can purchase laptop dongles with data plans in these regions at their local Sprint store. T-Mobile indicated that it began offering 3G service in the markets of Bridgeport, Hartford, New Haven, and Waterbury, Connecticut, as well as Knoxville, Tennessee this week. Visit a local T-Mobile store to find out which devices are available. The Shack, formerly known as Radio Shack, and T-Mobile announced that they will now officially be selling T-Mobile devices. The Shack will carry most of T-Mobile's postpaid phones, including devices such as the BlackBerry Curve 8900, Samsung T239, Comeback, Gravity 2, Behold, and the Sony Ericsson TM506. T-Mobile phones and service will be available at some 4,000 Radio Shack stores across the U.S., and Puerto Rico. Well, prepaid carrier Page Plus Sailor adds a $20 unlimited text option to their offerings effective the 26th of August. Prepaid customers can now get unlimited monthly domestic texting for $20 on top of the $40 monthly unlimited voice and messaging plan. Well, into some devices here, the iPhone 3GS 32 gigabyte is the number one best-selling handset in Japan for the month of July. A pretty big feat for the Cupertino device as it tops Sharp, Panasonic, and NEC as other devices in the top five. Kudos to Apple for getting this piece of the action in a country that's so highly touted for its mobile technology. 
Well, rumors suggest that the Palm EOS is still on track for fourth quarter of 2009 or first, or excuse me, fourth quarter 2009, first quarter 2010. Uh, the Commercial Times has claimed a similar deal to the one between Palm and Compel for several models of smartphones to be created here. Uh, the Digitimes site is citing a Chinese language newspaper reporting that volume shipments of the entry level Palm EOS smartphone will begin in October, reaching uh, as many as 500,000 units. So I guess, Joey, this is good news for the, you know, the Palm OS or the WebOS fans or Palm fans that you'll be able to find something else now, another piece of hardware very, very soon. Yeah, and it's good to have the, uh, it, from what we've seen, it's kind of central-ish where it's just front-facing QWERTY, uh, no sliding action on there, and it'll probably be uh, more, uh, less expensive. And, I, you know, we're supposed to see it on Sprint, and supposedly we're going to see it on GSM networks as well. So it's going to be just a, another uh, WebOS Palm device out there. It's one of the things that's kept me from actually seriously looking at switching over to Sprint and the, the, the Pre is because of the front-facing nature of this, you know, I guess proposed layout of a device is something that I'm, I'm very interested in. I don't like sliders. I've figured that one out over multiple devices that have just not worked out. And I, I'm excited that this is supposedly on track here to come out either at the end of this year or early 2010. So it's good news. Yeah, as am I, because I'm really not a fan of the sliders either. Well, and, you know, for any Centro or Trio fan, I think it's uh, it's a good uh, it's a good upgrade. So entry level, meaning probably a lower cost as well, uh, which is obviously good. Uh, the Centro itself was the probably the, the leader in the low cost devices for Palm at that $99 price point. That's certainly a great device. You know, nothing but, you know, rave reviews from pretty much everyone who's got one. Yeah, and it really uh, got the market kind of heated up for the smartphone device because it really was the first and uh, a dramatically cheaper uh, smartphone when that one did come out. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, next couple of months here, we should be seeing ourselves in EOS. Well, the latest HTC Leo rendering is showing that apparently we may be seeing the Leo very soon. A leaked ROM showing uh, on a another device, a Touch Diamond 2. So someone found a Leo ROM, threw it on Touch Diamond 2, and is showing off some startup sequences. So this is just the latest in pieces of information leading to hopefully a Leo release very soon. Samsung Omnia Pro B7330 pictures and specifications got leaked out this week. Uh, the main specs of the device include a 2.63-inch TFT display, 320 by 320 resolution, HSDPA, Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, 3.2-megapixel camera, micro SD card, 1,500-milliamp-hour battery, no word yet on pricing. T-Mobile's Touch Pro 2 getting a lot of coverage the last few weeks, and it looks like a price drop as well. $349 is the price that you can get it on contract from T-Mobile or $549 without a contract. However, head over to Amazon through the link in the show notes that we've got for you here, and you can get an additional $200 off with a new service plan knocking the price down to $150. That's 73% off the MSRP of a non-contract device. The HTC Mega got uh, specif- uh, previewed and uh, specs released for it this week. Official specs include WCDMA and HSPA networks for the 900 and 2100 megahertz bands, as well as quad band GSM and Edge. Uh, uh, Windows Mobile 6.5, 2.8-inch QVGA touchscreen, 3.2-megapixel camera, internal memory of 256 megs of ROM and RAM, micro SD, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS, 1100 milliamp-hour battery, and includes TouchFlow as the overlay on the 6.5. BlackBerry Tour comes to Altel officially, $200 after rebate and a new agreement. Check it out over at altel.com. A a video that shows a very interesting view of the Storm 2 and how the new touchscreen is going to work. There have been some reports that the new screen on the Storm 2 is going to be changing how SurePress worked on it. And this video shows how the screen is using something called Piezo Electronics, P-I-E-Z-O Electronics, to detect pressure at any point on the screen instead of the all or nothing click of the current uh, current storm number one. The screen actually stiffens when the phone is offed or locked, and then will give a sort of spongy give to it when the phone has been turned on. Uh, the person who made the video confirmed that there's no uncertain terms 
are under no uncertain terms. The device will be coming to GSM and CDMA networks and will have Wi-Fi. He actually showed how the screen functions by using a sponge. Apparently a sponge is the, the best thing that he could come up with in, in explaining how this worked. But the greatest thing about what's going to change with this is that you don't have to lift one finger off the screen to be able to push down to make a, it, the, the phone work in another place. This was the biggest complaint about the current screen with the SurePress is that you had to lift your finger off the screen to make the actual uh, uh, you know, digit register that you were pressing on. So good news there for that one. A very interesting video, about eight minutes long, but uh, it will get you kind of interested if you're interested in these touchscreen Blackberries. Some new Blackberries coming to Verizon. Looks like that Storm 2 has gotten uh, some, you know, a little bit more credibility here showing up on the Engadget mobile site uh, from Boy Genius, as well as a Curve 2. Looks like later in the year, for when we're going to see these. Uh, a handful of Nokia handsets got pictured, including the N97 Mini. A lot of different uh, devices shown in here, including the E72, the N97 Mini, even a possible uh, 5900X. Uh, lots of different interesting things here. And then Nokia came out and announced a special edition of the 5800 Express Music, offering lifetime voice-guided uh, driving and walking navigation licenses for the Avi Maps product. It usually carries a monthly surcharge, but Avi Maps uh, will now be available uh, in the 5800 Express Music Navigation Edition for the life of the device. The kit includes a car charger and vehicle mount, and it will be available at the end of the third quarter, unlocked for $407. Dell's selling mobile device to China Mobile. A Dell spokesperson said that the company is develop developing a device for China Mobile, and it will be known as the Mini 3i Proof of concept in specifications and pictures have been shown on various places around the internet, but are set uh, to or are subject to change at this point. A CDMA variant of the HTC Hero has been approved by the FCC. Documents from the website showing that the FCC has confirmed the CDMA version of the Hero Android device that had, was announced earlier this year. The FCC notes that the version of the Hero has eVideo and Bluetooth. The GSM version of the Hero uses HTC's custom Sense UI with a 3.2-inch HVGA display, 5-megapixel autofocus camera, GPS, accelerometer, compass, 3.5-millimeter headphone jack, and memory card slot. The FCC does not confirm these specs for the CDMA version. However, this version of the Hero is compatible with networks operated by Sprint and Verizon, as well as a few up in Canada. Also with the FCC, they announced the uh, the unannounced phone from Samsung known as the SPHI 350, an eVideo Rev-A device with quad-band GSM and Edge. Uh, looks like this device has a model number that is consistent with other model numbers from Sprint, and it will also have Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and other typical devices or typical specifications from Samsung devices. No mention of support for the 2100 megahertz spectrum, though it's not 100% confirmed at this point. Neither Samsung or Sprint have announced a world roaming device at this point. The Samsung Gravity 2, now available for $30 after rebates on a new contract. It's a sideways slider with a QWERTY keyboard and support for T-Mobile's 3G network. So pick that one up if you're pre uh, interested in 3G for a cheap price on T-Mobile. Samsung's Instinct Q for Sprint got pictured. Looks a lot like the G1, uh, just a few different features added to it. Uh, namely a lack of a chin, uh, but also this one has got a, a, a proprietary software OS on it. Uh, actually, excuse me, this one's got an Android OS on it, uh, but it has uh, buttons, additional buttons on it to what we didn't see um, on the G1, which also includes, uh, let's see, well, we've got a, a full whole row here of buttons on the front of it for home, menu, and back. So some additional features for this one. So, But anyway, coming to Sprint here looks like will be the first Android device. Flavors of the GS, uh, GSM Garmin Asus Nuvi phone uh, look maybe two different versions here. Now we're seeing the M20 and the G60 heading to AT&T. Uh, no details yet from AT&T, but uh, Garmin Asus says that this one will hopefully be hitting the American streets in the fourth quarter. LG's GD910 gets UK pricing and a release date of August 27th. 500 pounds, which is approximately $825 on Orange's pay-as-you-go service, means a no-contract uh, phone to worry about that you can wear on your wrist. Orange's shop on Bond Street Station in London uh, will be the place you can get it at 9 a.m. sharp on the 27th.
T-Mobile's Sidekick LX 2009 had a price drop this week, dropping it from, uh, I think it was $250, now down to $174 on contract. Uh, This phone is the latest from Microsoft after their acquisition of Danger in the Sidekick line. Altel selling the Samsung U350 as the Glint. Uh, The U350 Glint will be available as an entry-level clamshell device with a VGA camera, Bluetooth, 1X data, and a speakerphone. Plantronics' Discovery 7, excuse me, 975 is an, a very nice upgrade to the 925 that got uh, reviewed by many different sites this week. Uh, we're citing a source from uh, the source CNET talking about a review of the latest in the Voyager Pro lines. Uh, it's Audio IQ2 noise canceling and wind smart wind noise reduction technologies have allowed this device to become the latest and best in the line of Plantronics Discovery uh, uh, Bluetooth headsets. $129 retail available at the Plantronics website as well as Best Buy and Amazon. It will also be sold starting later in the month at Best Buy and Apple stores, Radio Shack, Sprint, and AT&T to follow in October. Well, Verizon Wireless's low-cost world phone known as the Escapade got released this week. It's a quad-band GSM Edge device with a 1X and uh, EVDO for CDMA usage here in the U.S. It's got uh, dual displays, 2-megapixel camera, Bluetooth, and GPS. It's $30 after rebate and new agreement. Duracell's smart power lineup includes the wireless gadget charging pad. This one is uh, very similar to the the type of technology that's being used by the Touchstone by Palm. The exception here is that this one can be used with nearly any device that supports the type of plugs that it it has. Uh, The MyGrid compatibility allows for popular phone brands such as Apple, BlackBerry, Nokia, and Motorola to plug an adapter to the charging port and set your device right on top of this pad and it will charge it wirelessly. It'd be very nice to have if you've got multiple devices like I do or someone who's just looking to be able to charge the device without having to plug it in. Microsoft's OS strategy taking aim at Android and the iPhone. According to a DigiTimes report, Microsoft is plotting uh, their newest operating system, Windows Mobile 6.5, for a release date of October 1st, which will then add an upgrade cap- uh, feature to the platform in February of 2010 with a touch interface. Windows Mobile 6.5 is slated to be released in conjunction with the introduction of Windows uh, Marketplace for Mobile's application, so we could be seeing that one as well on the 1st of October. But further, Microsoft will not phase out the Windows Mobile 6.5 OS when it launches Windows Mobile 7 in the fourth quarter of 2010. Instead, it will reduce the price of Windows Mobile 6.5, and thus the software manufacturer will have products targeting the Android platform, that's Windows 6.5, and the iPhone operating system with their Windows 7. Having both operating systems available to developers and handset makers, Microsoft believes it will better be able to situate themselves in the mobile market. Now, we can't go on from this one without talking about it a little bit because I, I really think this is even more confusing than they're trying to, you know, than things they need to do. Microsoft historically has done this thing where they they upgrade their devices slowly, but eventually get around to upgrading all the current devices that they have to the latest, uh, uh, you know, offering of their software. And to do something like this completely deviates from that. And now you've got a number of devices running different pieces of, of, of software from them. And it, it just seems way too confusing for what I think they're trying to do. It could be, Mickey. We've seen this in the past when Microsoft, uh, with their computer operating system, we we had uh, simultaneous versions of home and corporate versions when they had Windows 98 and Windows NT uh, style, and then we migrated to uh, Windows 2000, which was primarily corporate, and then at the same time, then there was like the Windows uh, Millennium Edition at that time. Um, you know, one of them was kind of the 16 base, 16 bit based OS, and the other one was the NT4, you know, 32 bit based system. Uh, they finally converged it with uh, Windows XP, but during that time period, it was it was very very confusing because then you needed you know every device had separate sets of drivers, and it it just w- didn't make much sense. And I, I have a feeling the same thing may happen, um, but maybe not though, since Windows Mobile Seven is supposed to be uh, you know a complete rewrite, rewrite, brand new new apps, new everything. So maybe it won't get in the way, and maybe it'll be kind of like the legacy. Um, you know, kind of like what we have right now with Palm OS, you know, the like the Centro, that's the end of the line right there for, for Palm OS apps. And it'll be, you know, those devices will be maintained for a period of time, but I can't imagine it being a long-term strategy. 
when I when I think of what Microsoft has done, I find they're you know they're they're they've they've tried to move away from what they're calling Windows Mobile and change it to just Windows Phone because they want the person you know that's using the device to think about it not as a mobile version but just I guess their their phone and their operating system is is on it not having to. Didn't we just just talk about this a couple of weeks ago, how Windows was looking to kind of unify the fact that they were just going to have a Windows phone and there weren't going to be yep. version numbers anymore? Yep. Now, now they're coming out with this completely different you know view on this. So I don't know. Again, it's from a Digitimes report. I don't know if it's going to you know ultimately come out like this, but it would be, um, I think it's a bad move for them. But like you said, maybe it just has to do with a legacy versus you know cutting the line and moving forward with new hardware and, and whatever. So I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to just see how it uh, plays out. Yeah. More software here. TomTom for the iPhone is now available. You can pick it up for $99 in the App Store. It's got uh, very much, uh, very similar features to the software that we reviewed here on this show from Sidekick and Navigon. Landscape and portrait modes, pinch and zoom, take full advantage of the interface, voice-guided directions, integration with your iPhone address book, routing options for fastest and most direct routes, as well as the ability to find points of interest and call for reservations. Again, available from TomTom for $99 in the App Store. Well, conflicting reports leave HTC G1 owners without a real answer with respect to the G1's ability to upgrade to Android. Android 2.0 and beyond. Android software engineer Dave Sparks recently said there will be a time in the near future where we will not be able to fit the latest release on the G1's internal flash memory. The G1, which currently supports Android 1.5, aka Cupcake, has 256 megabytes of internal storage and cannot run the Android operating system nor applications from the microSD expansion slot. When asked to corroborate Sparks' statement, T-Mobile issued a statement of its own stating, we plan to continue working with Google to introduce future software updates to the T-Mobile G1. Reports to the contrary are inaccurate. T-Mobile did not clarify or explicitly explain what future software updates mean, nor did it commit to releasing any new versions of the Android platform for the G1. Well, Palm announced that it had begun accepting paid applications for the Palm app world starting this week through the beta e-commerce program. Developers participating in the beta program will be among the first to offer Palm Pre and WebOS user paid applications and will be featured in the next update for the apps catalog, which is set for mid-September. Palm will split gross revenues for all sales 30-70 with the developers who will get to keep the lion's share of the money earned through the sales. Palm said that the customer will be able to use a Visa or Master credit card to make purchases, though it didn't indicate if carrier billing would be supported. Palm made it clear that applications must run on WebOS and not be delivered via the browser. To start, paid apps will only be available to the U.S., and Palm expects to expand the developer program beyond its current beta state later in the year. Research in Motion recently unveiled an online portal for the BlackBerry App World application store. The web interface lets users browse for applications much much faster and easier than via the handset-based client. Once a user finds an application they like, they can have an email link sent to the their, directly to their BlackBerry, making it faster to find and download to the handset. Applications cannot be downloaded or purchased from the web portal, but it makes the discovery process much easier. While Samsung is planning to offer a TouchWiz SDK to developers, Samsung is opening up the TouchWiz user interface to allow multiple uh, developers to create multiple widgets for its lineup of phones. TouchWiz is a finger-friendly UI that has found its way into handsets such as the Omnia and Memoir, offering users one-click access to web-based information like weather and stocks. Well, RIM is planning to include a full version of Flash and Silverlight in the support of their browser. Uh, the Boy Genius has been compiling details over the last month stating last month stating that RIM is planning to integrate full flash, not the flash light, but full flash and Microsoft Silverlight support into their versions, their their device's web browser. Uh, obviously this information could uh, potentially be good news for those that are using their web browser to go to sites that are heavily media intensive and be able to look at things like videos directly from the browser. SlingPlayer Mobile 1.1 for the iPhone has made its way into the App Store. If you've been using the Sling Player for the iPhone, you'll be excited to know that the new version brings native dish network navigation, improved widescreen support, and improved response times throughout the application. I downloaded this application or this update this week and can confirm that number one, it doesn't still does not function over the 3G network, which we figured that it would not, but they have stated that they have indeed submitted a version that is 3G compatible to Apple. 
Apple uh, for use outside of the U.S. Uh, this at this point is uh, you know going to not have anything to do with the U.S., but uh, we'll see if someone is able to figure that one out if it does in fact get approved. Well, the Android platform has been great for developers and Google as well to be able to take a look at some different types of applications that they wanted to develop. And the Google Labs recently released a version of a uh, number 1.0 of their application titled Google Listen, and it's a player for podcasts. Listen from Google Labs brings podcasts and web audio to the Android-powered device, letting you search, subscribe, download, and stream directly from the application. By subscribing to a program and search terms, it will create a personalized audio magazine loaded with fresh shows and news stories whenever you listen. A great uh, great uh, application that can be downloaded for users of the G1 to listen to shows like The Cell Phone Junkie. Verizon Wireless announced that it is launching Vcast video services for the BlackBerry Storm. Verizon notes that the Storm is the first smartphone in its lineup to have access to the Vcast repertoire of content, which includes full-length television programs and live sporting events. The player itself has been updated to take advantage of the Storm's multimedia capabilities, providing better search functions and can play back higher-resolution content. Storm users can find a link of the service in their browser. The application needs to be downloaded before it can be used and carries a monthly fee of $10. Many of Verizon's feature phones already have access to this service, and this is the first from BlackBerry. Well, microblogging service Twitter has recently announced that it's going to provide developers with location APIs, which they can use in their Twitter applications. The APIs will allow users to attach location information, including latitude and longitude, to each tweet that users send. Location awareness will first be available via third-party Twitter applications such as TweetDeck, then later applied directly on Twitter.com and the mobile version of Twitter. They believe that this could open up a new way to share and read tweets. For example, users can more easily choose to read tweets for those that are in their immediate vicinity and users will need to opt into the service thank goodness and twitter says the location data will not be stored for an indefinite period developers will receive a preview of the feature soon though twitter didn't say exactly when it will become fully available this one scares me i I look at the number of people using twitter and already oversharing their information online and to see something like this come out I, i just really have to caution people about sharing their location there's one thing to be talking about where you're at with your friends, but to share it on Twitter, which is information that can be, unless you block your profile to be private, this information is shared with anybody who looks, you know, or anybody who searches can find out what you're doing. It's, it's, it's very scary, especially if they know where you are and they can use that information against you. So just be very careful with something like this. Google refuting the USA Today's report that they blocked the Skype application. Apple, of course, was talking this week about the Google Voice debacle, and uh, Google has stated that they are having their own fight on the voice over IP-related forefront. Uh, Apparently, it seems that a USA Today article alleges that the internet giant is sought to block a full Skype application from making its way to the Android market. story claims that the application was... uh, was changed to become a watered-down version that originally routes the call over the traditional network and that would cast a, um, a basically bad version of the how the software works uh, towards the company's policies. The story uh, basically goes into further detail on this, but uh, Google is saying that this is not indeed the case of it. And uh, so we'll, we'll see how this one all you know kind of comes out in the end here. But USA Today, uh, obviously getting a good scoop here from Skype if that is indeed the case. Quick updates uh, in the App Store allowing for 3G uploading. Still not live streaming, but you can you can now upload over 3G. So if you take a video with Quick on your iPhone, you can now upload it from essentially wherever you are. So take advantage of that if you're a Quick user. Google Apps Connector for Bez goes live. This was first announced at uh, West 2009. Google's Google Apps Connector for BlackBerry Enterprise Server or Apps Connector for Bez has gone live after missing a July launch date. Uh, free to Google Apps Premier and Education Edition users, the Apps Connector for Bez allows Google Apps to integrate with the Bez while eliminating the need for exchange. Highlights include messages being sent to your Gmail inbox, pushed to your BlackBerry within 60 seconds, emails read and deleted on the BlackBerry are marked as read and deleted in Gmail and vice versa, emails archi- archived and starred on your BlackBerry are archived and starred in Gmail and vice versa, 
BlackBerry folders are synchronized with labels in Gmail. You can search for contact information of coworkers from the global address list on the phone. Contacts in Gmail are automatically synced to your BlackBerry address book. You can view the Google Calendar schedule and native BlackBerry applic- with the native BlackBerry application with a one-way sync from Google Calendar to the BlackBerry device. Two-way calendar sync with the ability to accept, decline, and schedule meetings from your BlackBerry device is not available yet, but the developers are working on it. And administrators can use management and security tools that are part of the BEZ to take care of this update. All in all, very, very nice to see this feature added on. And for Gmail users that have a BEZ, very good stuff to see. And finally, in software, Visual Voicemail coming soon for the BlackBerry Bold. Apparently, a new version of the BlackBerry Bold OS on AT&T will be released this coming week. We'll report on that next week. And one of the features in it is Visual Voicemail for for the BlackBerry. Uh, This feature is already in the AT&T system. So if you call up AT&T, ask them to add the Visual Voicemail to your account, you should be able to do so. Features include storing up to 40 voicemails for 14 days, archiving voicemails to the device memory, forwarding voicemails as MMS to other users, saving phone numbers in your visual voicemail inbox to your address book, and setting up your voicemail and greeting right from the application itself. Great news if you're a BlackBerry user. Joey, we talked about last week on the the voicemail front how this Take Back the Beep campaign being done by David Pogue is uh, you know going in a, I think a very good way where people are actually taking note of this and making changes. And I know you've had your voicemail like this for quite a while, but I would just like for the sake of this conversation, because we're talking about voicemail, when someone calls and gets your voicemail, what do they hear? Well, uh, it, it, for me, it's just, uh, this is Joey, leave a message and, and then it beeps. And I, I think that is fantastic. If you've got a carrier that allows you to do it, which uh, you know, Sprint does, if you've got visual voicemail on AT&T, they do as well. So if you call my AT&T phone, you get a, this is Mickey, leave a message. It's literally less than two seconds and you you got that beep. And, it, and it's it's... It was so refreshing the first time I got it with you to be able to hear that and not have to deal with the press one to do this, press five to page and press seven to order them flapjacks at your nearest, you know, IHOP. It's just just a simple, you know, here you go. It's me. Leave a message. Done. And I think it's great. Yep. And if you know which carrier it is, there's a different button to press for uh, for a few of the carriers. Some of them can't skip the message. Um, you know, Sprint is number one. So if you know you're calling a Sprint person, you press one as soon as the voicemail uh, outgoing message starts, it'll immediately beep. Which, uh, no matter where you're at in the thing, it'll immediately beep at you. And then Verizon, I believe it's Star, and then I don't know what the other ones are offhand. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we'll move right into the questions and comments. The first one is a comment from Paul stating that he is echoing the statements that we shared on the last show about voicemail prompts and how they take too long. One trick that he learned was pressing star during the recording of a Verizon customer's message to skip right to the beep. It seems to only work when they've actually have a recorded message and not with the default message just, just that gives the person's phone number and or name. Uh, I found this to work almost every case. It saves me a lot of time, especially when I call people often. And Joey, so there you go. It's star with Verizon, which is different than everyone else because on most voicemails where you call up and press star, it dumps you into the system like it thinks you're an actual user of that particular service. And so it wants you to enter in your, your phone number or maybe just even your password. I think it's just your password. Yeah, like uh, Sprint. If you hit to hit that with Sprint, yeah, it'll ask you to prompt for the uh, uh, your password on your account. Um, I think T-Mobile and Singular, it's uh, AT and T. It's uh, pound to skip the outgoing message. Yeah, so you've got you've got a pound on the GSM carriers. You've got a star on Verizon. You said a number one on Sprint is what gets you through. Yep. Yep, it's definitely one on Sprint. All right. Well, that's good news. I mean, it's it's good information to have and to pass on. So thanks to Paul for passing that on. And, uh, you know, this is it's good news. And for those that are fed up with listening to voicemails, hopefully you can you know what, you know, uh, what service that person has when you're calling so you can easily skip over. them. obviously, you have to know that information. Otherwise, you'll be pushing buttons and maybe doing different things for you. But yeah, if you know, it's Verizon Star, if it's someone else hit pound, if it doesn't work, maybe they have Sprint. So hit one. You'll figure, maybe you'll figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> it's not easy. That's for sure. Next one is a question from Harry. He says, does Verizon's EVDO slash CDMA network have the ability to make simultaneous voice and data calls 
uh, similar to what AT&T's 3G does. For example, if I'm on a Verizon Touch Pro downloading an MP3 song and my boss calls, will the call go to my voicemail or will the phone ring? If Verizon doesn't have this voice and data simultaneous feature, I have a feeling that Verizon's iPhone would be would be a, a letdown for iPhone users because so many applications are data intensive. Just a thought, Harry. Well, Harry, it's a great question. Uh, something I think we've talked about, but it's been a while. On Verizon, similar to uh, to what Sprint has, so both of the CDMA carriers that run EVDO on the data side, EVDO or EVDO Rev A, doesn't matter. When you when you're on that network, if you're using data, you can't make a phone call at the same time or vice versa. But if you're using data to say stream music or download something, and a phone call comes in, it will actually pause that connection make the phone switch over to the voice call, allow you to either answer it or ignore it. And then once you're done with the voice call, it will then switch back to the application or the, uh, the, the session that was using the data and continue on its way. This is uh, different than, of course, on the HSDPA side, where it allows you to do that simultaneous voice and data at the same time. Uh, the idea uh, is that, it, it, you know, even though it can't make this you know, happen where you're making a phone call and downloading at the same time, if you're doing something on the data side, it won't bump you your phone call to a voicemail message at the very least, which is good, which is what happens on the 1X networks and also on the edge network on the GSM side is if you're using data, you're kind of out of luck if someone calls. It'll go right to voicemail. So uh, I, I think that pretty much sums that up. Joey, anything you want to add to that? Nope, that covers it. Uh, you know, there is a specification, obviously, we read tonight that will be forthcoming for EVDO where they will have a simultaneous uh, capability. Um, but uh, the, the EVDO Rev B, which uh, was approved, it uh, never was implemented or uh, it's never going to appear in a, an actual handset. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I don't think it's going to. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, over the, the course of time, we found ourselves constantly wanting the, the, you know, to get these features added in. And uh, now we're changing to a completely different technology. So, um, you know, I don't think we're going to see it either. So it's it's probably going to be, unless the specification, the SVDO comes into play, I don't think we're going to see it. No. And there is one bit of data you can do while you're on a phone call that I, uh, you know, I actually frequently do at my Centros. I can send SM, send and receive SMSs while I'm talking on the phone. So that's actually kind of handy because I can hold multiple conversations at one time. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that you can do on uh, the, the GSM side too. And that's just simply because the phone uh, is using the control channel to send and receive that small amount of data. And it's really you know very, very minimal, although very effective in many cases. So uh, it, it certainly works well uh, if you wanted to do that. So anyway, that's all we had for questions this week. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by giving us a call to 206-203-3734 or send us an email to questions at com or record a message and email it to us to that same address, questions at thecellphonejunkie.com, and uh, we can play that on the show as well, which is uh, very nice. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so also on Twitter at twitter.com slash tcpj underscore Mickey or twitter.com slash tcpj underscore Joey. And remember to get your entry in if you've got an iPhone and you want to be uh, entered in to get that Sijic North American map uh, license that will give you the, the ability to use your GPS for turn-by-turn directions. It's very, very neat. Thanks to them again. And Joey, thank you very much, uh, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.